right, hello everyone. It's Rick Chafee with Ask the Masters. I've also got my partner Dave Penton on the line with us. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. Yeah, excited about this one. Uh, a couple really um, uh, well-known people, and 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 so very much looking forward to this conversation, and and glad to glad to join in as well. So we are we are welcome today with Ed Gibbs. He's with the president and CEO of Gibbs Sand. They are a pool build design and a retail company. Got over 150 employees up in the Canada world, far north North America. We also have Greg Howard, president of Carecraft. Carecraft is a 300 plus member company buyers group that does uh, equipment buying, but also puts Greg in the interaction with all of his builders. They do education, they do get togethers, they do business building seminars. We've got a, a, two good guys that have been in the industry a very long time that are going to, we're going to talk about what's happening today, how to, how to manage and maneuver through it, but more importantly, what are we going to do in the future? So Greg, give me a quick introduction, talk us through a uh, little bit of your history and, and your business. I started in the pool industry in 1981. I uh, financed a company called Spa One and subsequently sold that to Polaris. Subsequently to that, I put together a um, leverage buyout. We bought Polaris from the original family that owned the company. And I was there for almost 20 years operating that business. Uh, then it became Zodiac and I moved over to Carecraft, I've been at Carecraft 16 years now. We're a buying group made up of dealers in North America that uh, buy their products through us. And we deal with about 275 different manufacturers. Awesome, awesome. Mr. Gibbs, give us a little chat about what uh, your company is and what you do for them. Well, I started in 1980. This is my 40th year. That's a long time, wow. And I started in high school through university, started right at the bottom, started cleaning toilets and worked my way up, service, construction. I decided when I got out of university that I love this business so much that uh, I couldn't see myself anywhere else. And uh, I wound up buying it for my dad. I'm the youngest of seven. And uh, at that time, what I wanted to do is revolutionize the pool business. It was a seasonal in those days, mom and pop. And I just thought we could be so much more. So we increased our reach. We opened retail, which we didn't have service. We did a very small amount. We expanded that and expanded construction. So we grew from a company that did under a million dollars and to where we are now, which we're close to a $20 million company. So uh, we have 150 employees, a great staff of people, three locations, and uh, I love the business more today than I ever have. Well, we welcome both of you to, to the podcast. I think obviously we are all in the midst of what's been going on with COVID, some of us in different countries, but all dealing with the same results, right? And, and the results of that is we've got most states, most businesses in lockdown. Construction's been essential, at least in the US. I don't know what it's been in Canada. Um, they've they're just kind of doing the same thing or are yeah. they on lockdown? Okay, no, we're so, locked down. So we, we luckily in many of the, many of the states in, Arizona, in the U.S., we've got um, essential workers. And so we're at least getting service and some construction. And we've kind of been able to toil through some of this without immediately getting mm -hmm. um, thrown to the wolves. But a majority of the markets elsewhere have. And so the, the critical thing I look at and the reason I wanted to especially have Ed on is one of the things I've always noticed with Ed and all of his employees, I've had the opportunity to, to instruct them, learn next to them and be at events with them. The culture built within his business is is critical to his success, and I and it and it's in every one of their employees. 
it's obvious that they, they, fo they focus on culture. Um, other businesses that surround Ed come to some of his events because of how important they are to culture. And I think given the current la landscape that's out there for pool builders and construction companies, what's important more than anything today is to make sure your employees understand the, the health of the company and how the company is going to move forward and have faith that the leadership is doing the right things to make sure they can keep moving forward. And, and talk to that more about what you guys are doing internally today to make sure that the, the company understands that you're going to be successful. You've got a way through and you're not just waiting back to see what's going to happen. Well, I, I don't know if it's just about today or it's about yesterday and tomorrow. We do leadership meetings weekly. We communicate with our staff weekly. We talk about these things like inventory, saving money, future sales, past mistakes, how we can move forward on a regular basis. So it, it, there isn't a lot of things that are new other than when the lockdown came in, we decided that we had to increase our level of communication to everyone as a unified, unified front. So what I did is I videoed communication messages and emailed it to everyone. So this is what we're doing today. This is the newest message. I'll update you tomorrow or within the next few days. So it was an increased level of communication to everyone. Instead of just disseminating through management out to the field, I wanted to have one message. So that was a big thing that we had done. The other is to reassure everyone with those messages, we have the inventory. We have the financial wherewithal. We did all the hard stuff before this, saving money, buying our buildings, buying all our equipment, buying our vehicles, having money put away for events like this. So I always talk, I have different acronyms for things that I do, but I push heavily preparedness, preparedness, preparedness. And so when this came, there were some people that said, well, I want to go home, I'm afraid. But the majority of people stayed and we continued to work through it. Uh, I have laid no one off. Uh, people who chose to be laid off because they could, uh, we did. But others we, we kept here. Uh, we continued to do work projects around our buildings uh, to keep everyone going. Uh, and we do have field work, although limited at this point. It looks like until uh, the end of May. But it's that reassurance to them that they are important. It's, it's about, I refer to our team as it's a we, not me. It's brothers and sisters, not colleagues and not coworkers. And that is something that has to start at the top. It also starts by, I'm in the office every day at five o'clock to greet every employee that comes in and thanks them for coming in during this tough time. Those are things that make a difference because it is we, not me. Yeah, I think those are critical. I mean, I, 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 the, the, the importance of keeping them in a healthy mental state is going to be important to the future of your business. And I think many people, if they're not communicating with their employees enough, they might not know how much, how much preparedness that you had done in the last 10 years of, of your business to make sure you can manage these kind of situations and also how much planning and how much future plans you have to make sure you work through it. Um, so, so that's a, that's a great idea and a great, um, topic to put together video messaging or even video meetings. Obviously we're doing a majority. Most people probably prior to this didn't even understand or knew what zoom was. I'd be surprised. I mean, if 50% of the world knew what zoom was before COVID 98.9% of them know who it is now. Right. Sure. Um, we've all learned that we've got to have these kind of meetings and, and 
now we're learning how to be operating in a different manner and be able to operate from afar, but yet still have interpersonal communication. So Greg, talk to me about some of your builders and, and kind of the, the, what you're seeing the markets do with those builders, how things have adjusted through this process. Are they, you know, what, what have, what's changed in the, in the COVID daytime activities of your business or your businesses that work with you? I talked to a builder that we have in Dallas earlier in the week and asked him how it was going for him. And he said that the prior day he had 21 leads and he can hardly keep up with the leads that are coming in for pools. And he said, what's in common for all of those leads is the homeowners are saying, my kids are not going to camp this summer. We're not going out to dinner as a family this summer and we're not going to travel as a family this summer. So I need you to build a pool for me that will give us a place to gather while all of this is going on. So the customers can't get a pool built fast enough and the demand is far outstripping our ability to even sell the pools. We have a lot of builders who are telling me that their answer to that same question, can you build a pool for me right now, is I can't build a pool for you till this time next year. So we've got an awful lot of builders that have exceeded their capacity to build for this year and they're taking orders for a year from today. Well, I, you know, I think it's good. It's a, it's a very bright spot in this, in this terminalist time is the fact that staycation has be, is going to become the new tomorrow. Right. And even though that was starting to be a trend because, because we were marketing towards that trend, this has literally forced that trend to come back to the forefront. And you're absolutely right. We have, people sitting at home, either looking at their backyard or, or tied up into a house with their kids with nothing to do and, and starting to get, you know, rambunctious and realizing that maybe my best investment is starting to invest in my real estate and my backyard and my family so that I can continue to have a good time there. We're, we're literally doing that same thing. Even at our current offices, we're investing money and time kind of like Ed, because we have a little extra time with some of our crews to keep them busy to improve it, what we have here. So when we have a Friday cookout, we have a better, better location to do it in and improve some of that. But that's, that's a microcosm of what's happening in the future of people's backyards. And I think we carefully market to that, but that's an absolute positive to what's happening is that's going to be even more important to everybody is to have that great staycation that they can do. And, and you're right, for the next 12, 24 months, a lot of that stuff, even though if it gets wide open, I think there's going to be a lot of consumer confidence that's not there and therefore they're going to stay home and not move around. I also think that dining in is going to replace dining out that while there's a lot of people that are very anxious to go back to meeting their friends and family at restaurants. I think there's a lot of people who learned how to cook again during this time. And when this ends, it's going to be more likely that they're going to invite people over for dinner in the backyard than it is that they're going to say, let's meet at a restaurant. Yeah, dinner parties in your own backyard or dinner parties in your in your house are going to. I agree. There's look the world. We have to all know that we don't know what's going to happen, but we have to presume it's going to be a significant change. Um, you know, we've changed the landscape of everybody's mental state. There's going to be way more concern for health and safety. This is probably not the last of these type of scenarios that can happen, and we got to find a way around that. Um, and the best way to do that is to make people feel comfortable in their own homes. I'm sure. So, Greg. Um 
Last week, uh, you, know, you just shared about Texas. Um, uh, last week on the show, we had the Van Kirk brothers on uh, from Florida, and they're very much seeing the same thing. Um, you know, you have a much more broad um, uh, perspective, even wider than uh, you know most of the country. Uh, are you seeing that same kind of a trend across the country, or is it just kind of uh, isolated? You know, California, Florida, kind of the the, the pool building hotspots, or are you seeing? Um, uh, are you hearing that that demand is is kind of more uh, global across the North America? The demand is definitely global across all of North America. In terms of people's ability to deliver on that dream right now, the Northeast, the whole area around New York and Philadelphia, the builders are being told that they can't build. A lot of them have workers that won't go to job sites. And they're really shut down in a way the rest of the country is not from a building perspective, but the consumer demand is the same from end to end. And are so, you seeing the same kind of um, draw in your, in your market up there in North America? Yeah, no question. We, we're busier as far as leads are concerned, as Greg had mentioned, than we've been in a long time. So the interest is there and we're selling pools. So people are still buying pools, there's no question. I think that the, the moreover right now is the trepidation of committing to two and three and $400,000 to put in a backyard where post this is going to be very different than pre. So right now people are a little bit more apprehensive, but they are buying pools, but they're not buying as extensive. It looks like for the next few weeks. So they're saying, I want this, I want that, but Let's just wait and see when the, the, the lockdown, if you will, because we can't do any new construction. Only our existing we can finish, similar to what's going on to, in New York. But uh, the interest is definitely very, very high. I think the main thing that we have to project is that we're not going to recoil and not spend any money, lay people off, send those wrong messages to employees because we're going to lose really good key employees. I think also we're sending a message to our customers by continuing to invest and continuing to have our trucks on the road that we are in business for them. I think th th those are messages we have to make sure that we send our customers that we're in business and to employees that we're in business. One yeah. thing you brought up, Greg, was the, is the fact that the internet side of business is in growing dramatically, especially right now. But I think we all probably can discuss the fact that selling on the internet, even new pools, from afar and virtual is going to become considerably more of, of the, of the market. And I think as a, as a guy that does a lot of selling as a part of my business, um, I, you know, I have to sell to my employees. I have to sell to my clients, um, how things goes. I think it's, it is, it's, it's going to be really different to not have that face to face sit relationship. Cause I feel like much more gets done in the same room than it can get done from afar as we do consulting work in different States. A lot of times we have to do that from a distance, um, and it makes it much more difficult to really get a feel for what the client wants and needs and, and seeing the backyard and the views and, and even their body language when you have a conversation. And so, but Greg, I think you've noticed a lot too on the sales side of stuff, especially in the retail end, online sales are through the, through the roof. Yes. Uh, one big segment is chemicals that it took chemicals a really long time to go mainstream uh, equipment where somebody needed a new pool cleaner or they wanted to buy a floating device, a basketball backboard. Those were all readily available on the internet and consumers didn't have any concerns about buying them, but we didn't see any kind of an explosion of pool chemicals. Pool chemicals were 
largely bought at retail stores and not online. That has all changed. We're seeing the doubling and quadrupling is, is coming from the chemical side more so than the equipment side. It's, it's the biggest explosion we've seen since the internet got started. What do you, um, do you feel like the, the change um, uh, in moving into uh, like Zoom meetings and, and virtual meetings with clients on the sales side, um, do you think that that's going to become more of a mainstay? Uh, do you think that this is going to be kind of a blip? I mean, obviously, if you can meet with clients face to face, that's going to be always the best. Uh, but some of the initial meetings as you're kind of building rapport, um, I'm, I'm getting the sense that people are so much more comfortable doing this and, and I feel like it will make us more efficient as companies. Um, are you, what's your take on that? Cause I, I always respect, um, your, just kind of your perspective and, and you, you really have quite a pulse on, on the entire industry. I don't think that it's going to change it from a initial sales perspective. I think that's a blip and that the step that separates everybody is going to be when the builder shows up at the homeowner's house, the husband and wife sit in their living room and they talk about the pool in their backyard. Progress updates, I think that inspections and communications once the contract signed and the pool's been started, I could see that going entirely to this kind of video chat process where every Thursday night, you agree that the builder will have a conference with the homeowner and go through anything that's new for the week. But I think the initial bid process and the signing of the contracts is going to stay the traditional way as soon as this ends. I think by midsummer, we'll be back to the old way that we did that. Ed, are you doing anything different to, in your company to try to, at least for current situation, to adapt how you're, how you're dealing with your clients? As far as the sales are concerned, uh, for yeah. new pools, we are definitely doing Zoom calls, talking to clients from their backyard window. Uh, they're not coming to our place, obviously, because that's not allowed. So there is a change. And, and I agree with Greg. I think things will go back somewhat to, to where they were. But I believe this FaceTime uh, is going to be a new, this electronic FaceTime is definitely going to be a new way to communicate. We started about a year ago doing DocuSign. So we'd be sending the documents through to clients instead of traveling to their home. And that now has become a very normal way to communicate, which was never the way before. Uh, not even now, obviously, has changed again. But uh, even for our service, talking FaceTime from backyards, face-to-face -face physical uh, has been diminishing, actually, over the last number of years. So I think this is really the segue into, I believe, the new way to communicate. Greg, on the um, uh, on the the importing side, um, you know, I got a an email from Pentair saying that um, you know they were temporarily closing the North Carolina plant. Are you seeing any, or are you looking ahead? Are you um, envisioning any slowdowns in being able to get materials um, and 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 all of that? What's your thoughts on that, uh, you know, a few months down the road? When this first started, we thought that that was going to be a problem for the entire season and that there would be shortages all summer and the trade might be in real trouble. None of that has turned out to be true. 
The manufacturers that own or operate plants in China have been able to keep those plants running continuously since this started. There have been ships to bring the products here to the U.S. and the only glitch in any of the delivery has been the ports in the United States, that getting products out of the ports and on trucks and on their way to where they need to go has been the one and only hang up and I think they'll solve that problem. There is no big lineup of ships off the port of Los Angeles like there normally is. They're usually 200 deep lined up out into the ocean waiting to get in. Right now they can get in readily and it's a matter of whether they can get the, the product offloaded and onto trucks. Uh, in terms of the rest of the year, I'm not seeing any shortages. I think distribution has product and there isn't going to be a problem with the equipment this year. I think the shutdowns that you're seeing are related to people coming down with COVID-19 in a particular factory and the need that management has to close the factory and clean it. So they bring in an outside company that cleans, certifies that they've done the cleaning, that resolves the liability for the manufacturer and they can reopen again. We have not seen one of the closing notices that you're talking about for more than seven days. Every closing notice we see is a few days in length. I want to change gears a little bit here. I want to, one of the things Ed brought up is how he's been planning, you know, as he's running his business to be prepared for these kind of situations. And I think I want to talk about some of the key things you've been doing over the years, but, and also more importantly, what should companies do right now to be, be preparing for what might come? We don't know what's about to come, but I think there's some key factors in planning cash flow, income and expenses. What, what do you, what, talk me through some of that, Ed, regardless of the owning all your plant property and equipment ahead of time in the current situation, if you're not that company or you're a company that's an average company with a reasonable amount of debt and a reasonable amount of income, talk us through some key, key business ideas that they should be managing today to make sure that they can work through what the unknown future. Yeah, I guess you have to predict as best that you possibly can. Uh, based on a whole bunch of factors, the amount of leads that you have coming in, what you have in the pipeline, and what you think you can do. But from a management of cash flow, watching your aging, that's something that gets away with you, gets away on you so fast. But we implemented, again, several years ago, but from a cash flow perspective, a prepaid service. Some companies do that, not, not a lot do for whatever reason, but prepaid service packages to, to for clients, I think has really been a good thing for increasing cash flow. The secondary is possibly people can do is increase their deposit levels. Uh, if that is something that at least can help with cash flows, as long as you're not spending that money. Right. If that money, deposit money is not going into escrow and you're not touching it, uh, that's important because as soon as you start leveraging that money to pay for yesterday's mistakes or, or whatever it might be, then you're going to be going backwards. So making sure that cash flow is coming in, that you have it, you're, you know, everything is about cash is king and cash preservation. However, you do have to look at opportunities, opportunities where interest rates are as low that they, that they've ever been doing some refinancing on particular, maybe capital purchases that you've had is a great opportunity or even mortgages you can refinance and get lower rates if that's something depending, you know, you've got to do the math on it, but that is another, I think, important part, but also having discipline within your organization, making sure that each department in each area has the discipline 
if you don't get the discipline in now of where your dollars are being spent. If you go to a client, if, you, if you're tough with spending money, meaning that if, a, if something's just out of warranty with a client and you just cut that date too, too quick, you're going to lose clients. So you have to have the flexibility within your organization to make sure that you are protecting that future investment because that client is also the uh, future investment. So those are a few things that I would do. One of the things I noticed, and I think you started to mention upon is, is refinancing or, or figuring out your financing. And, and here's a situation where most pool builders, most construction companies are probably not in a dire situation currently, mm-hmm. um, unless they already were. But now would be the time if you start forecasting where you're going to be cash flow wise, where you're going to be in debt consolidation. And, and if you're not in a terrible situation, now's the time to work that out and set yourself up by either maybe refinancing real estate and taking some money out to make sure you have cash in the future. Um, most of those loan systems, you can always pay them back, right? But if you've got some equity to work with and you don't have enough cash, you've got to find a way to put cash in the bank because cash is what's going to be able to make you work through this market yep. and make sure you can be flexible. And so the time to do that is not when you need the cash, it's before you need the cash. As soon as you need it, you're going to struggle with banks not wanting to give it to you. And I, Greg, um, you, you know, I think you probably have some other factors, the same thing, but give us some of your insight in that way for a business is what should they be doing currently to make this, make this transition or be ready for what might come that they don't know? A couple of big things. One of them is I think some kind of a new model that predicts worst case and then a couple of versions of it in between is something you have to do right away. So you hear about a crisis like this. In our case, we went back and we took our plan for this year, which had 12 months of what we thought was going to happen. And then the 13th column is the total. And I lowered the revenue by 40% to see how that would impact us. And once you've done that kind of a stress test to see where you're at, then you might have to go through your expense accounts and start cutting some expenses to see if you can float. As the crisis wanes, you can start bringing that number up. We brought it up to only down 20%. And now we're, we're looking at 10. Pretty soon, I think I'm going to bring it up to flat because it's clear now that we're not going to be down like that. We're up 5% at this point. The second thing that I think is really important is the kind of reporting that you look at as a management team. Um, There is a report called a cash position report where you actually take the next 12 months and you're not trying to track your cash flow, you're tracking your cash position. So add up all of the money you think you're going to have in your various bank accounts and that makes a bar and then that bar moves up and down. So if your bar goes negative, let's say you think that by November, your cash position is going to be below zero. Now you need to panic and you have to either do what Ed's saying and go find some financing, or you're gonna have to get really aggressive about cutting expense. So I think projecting 12 months in advance how much money you think you'll have in the bank. That's a report most people don't normally do, but I think they should all have one in this environment. You know, we've started um, hearing different, different people, this is hitting different people different ways. Uh, and, and even with my own employees, um, you know, some are much more fearful than others. Um, and, and so, 
um, Greg, if you could just talk a little bit more, uh, you know, we, we touched on it earlier that uh, there seems to be quite an opportunity. Um, uh, what we, when we were talking to the Van Kirks last week, they're noticing that there's a number of people that have kind of, um, kind of pulled in their operations and are not really doing a whole lot. Uh, and that creates some opportunities for the people that are out there hustling in that. Um, but what are some of the things that you would recommend, um, you know, to your clients uh, as far as how should we seize the opportunity that appears to be in front of us and, and how bullish should we be, you know, if the staycation comes around, how do we hedge that against, um, you know, the, the potential downturn in the economy? Um, you know, I saw a report out the other day that about 15% of small businesses in the United States have already shut down during this. So there's going to be, there's going to be kind of these counterbalancing um, uh, mechanisms out there in the marketplace. So can you kind of, can you kind of speak to, as if you're speaking to your builders, what are you, what are you recommending um, moving forward? Well, I think Ed can probably speak to this as well, but I think one of the things that happens is people getting frozen in place. We saw this in after 9-11. The effect of 9-11 was only a few thousand people died, but the country's psyche was damaged. And we saw that all across North America. People were just scared. So what do people do when they're scared? They just stop. They don't buy a car, they don't buy a refrigerator, and they don't buy a pool. So the challenge is to figure out which of your customers is frozen, and you have to treat them differently. You have to look at a customer like that and say, I'm going to assume that they'll be unfrozen later on when they're not scared. How can I use the time to get them comfortable with the idea that when they're ready, we'll be the ones that they build the pool with. Um, car dealerships are doing that now. The car dealerships can't really have people come in and test drive cars, but they're reaching out daily and they're asking people, hey, when this ends, what kind of car do you see yourself driving? Can I send you pictures? And they're starting to work with people with full recognition that they're scared to death and they're not about to make a commitment until the coast is clear. So I think that's the important ingredient here is don't try to talk somebody into doing something they don't want to do. Embrace the fact that they're scared and just let them take it at whatever pace that they want. Ed, can you, can you speak to that as well? I mean, I think essentially what we're saying is no pressure sales, right? We're gonna kind of walk away from pushing the close and just work to inform and update the clients over time. But Ed, talk us through how you guys are handling some of those things as well, because we have buyers that are reluctant to do much, but we don't want to lose connection to them. Well, it's just that level of anxiety that everyone has. It's just so high. But we found that hand-holding is something that we have to just do a better job of. And sitting down with the client, explaining, giving them the information, and and not pressuring. I think that's the biggest thing is as soon as we turn on the pressure a little bit, you see them recoil and uh, pull away. So, and I think that we look at it as you would as a consumer. I don't want to be pressured right now because you just don't know how, you don't know what the future is going to be and that uncertainty is pretty strong. So I think making sure that we're very sensitive to how they're feeling, tell them that we're sensitive to how they're feeling and appreciate how they're feeling because we're a consumer as well. 
and say, let's go out this slow. We'll be free. We'll be here for you. If it's not today, tomorrow, next year, or the year after we're here for you. Again, reassuring, I think is the number one. Specifically, I, I, go ahead, Dave. Yeah. Are you doing anything? Uh, can you give every, anybody some tips? I mean, because obviously you guys do, uh, you build a lot of pools and, and uh, can you give anybody some specifics? What are you doing uh, like, like tangibly to reach out to your clients, to let them know, Hey, you know, we're here for you. We're going to be here from you. You said a little bit about, you know, having your trucks out in the field and that, uh, but some of the ways that you're like tangibly touching the clients, how have you ramped that up and, and how are you um, uh, continuing looking forward? Uh, just, just continuing that without being salesy and without being uh, without spamming your clients. So for existing clients, I did several videos and sent that to all our customers that we have emails for and say, this is, we're here, we have the inventory, we have the infrastructure, we're here for you. I think that was important. For the, again, the existing clients we started, uh, for the very first time we have online e-commerce. So we started that, we're doing a soft launch tomorrow and we'll have that on our new website by the end of next week. That's something we haven't done before is e-commerce. So that is another thing that we're, we're pushing. As far as on the new side of sales are concerned is we're just talking them through when they phone us. We're having more of the messages on our social media, promoting the staycation, come in and talk to us uh, virtually. That is uh, take a look at our website and take a look at different opportunities that we can present to you without pushing them. That's what, what we've been doing. Greg, talk me through, are you guys providing any um, communication to your members to, to these tactics or these points? I think that um, out of every adversity comes some opportunity. And clearly, this whole concept that our industry is going to be better off as a result of what happened is resonating all across the country with the entire industry. I think we all know that this is not unlike all of the other major disasters that we've had that when it ends, it's good for backyards. And long-term, we have to know that this is gonna be good for backyards and good for our industry. Well, I wanna, I wanna wrap things up. You guys have been excellent uh, on, the, as, on the show with us. We've got a great, great piece of information from all of you. Um, we're gonna, obviously, we're gonna invite you back at some point as well. Um, I think our listeners want to hear these pieces of information. I think each one of you have provided some good key tactics on how to operate your business. The, the takeaway I see is the business is there to be had. We have to adapt quickly to that business. We should be protecting all of our cash and we need to jump on the opportunities that are in front of us instead of sticking our heads in the sand. And so from everybody at Ask the Masters, um, I want to say goodbye to everybody. Appreciate you guys coming. Make sure if you're on our YouTube channel, you guys like and subscribe. We will give you updates like this almost every week, maybe sometimes twice a week. Ed, I appreciate you coming in. Greg, you were awesome. Dave, anything on closing? No, I just, uh, you know, the, the opportunity in front of us is, is great as a, an industry and, and just being sensitive to um, not gloating in that uh, because we could really quickly turn this tragedy into uh, something. Um, but just, you know, if you guys are out there and you're not, uh, you can't ignore this, uh, speaking to the builders, you have to take this seriously and, and you really need to be uh, making some evaluations. And I'm really, I'm thankful to both uh, for what you guys have offered and, and the advice that you've given us. So uh, thank you both for being on and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you. 
Thank you. you. Thanks, guys. Bye.